Oh boy, here we go. Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham right here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5. KPL, glad to be with y'all on this historic day at the Supreme Court. And we kind of knew what was coming today because we heard uh, early this morning, we heard reports. I heard reports from some sources in the D.C. area, and I know there were reports out on social media saying that Capitol Police had increased security around the Supreme Court to what I had heard were unprecedented levels. So we knew something big was coming. That was the speculation. Uh, Dobbs would be dropping today, and it did. One of two cases to drop today. In uh, in the next segment, going to have uh, my friend and former Red State colleague, Dan McLaughlin, who's now at National Review. He will be calling, uh, or he will be joining us on the show to kind of give us the legal breakdown of the Dobbs case and just kind of how we got to this moment. Uh, And what I want to do is we're going to go through the show as normal. But again, I'm going to be here for offsides. Uh, Mark and I will be in for Shannon and Brandon and want to take at least the first hour of offsides to really field y'all's calls and really get listener reaction. So uh, we're going to go through the show as normal. If we've got some topics that you want to comment on, that's fine. Uh, and we really want to hear your reaction to uh, the Roe versus Wade being overturned in the Dobbs case. Want to uh, want to spend the first hour of offsides talking about that today. 232-1542 is the number to call and take part. In the meantime, the show notes are live on kpel965.com. The end of Roe versus Wade being right at the top of that. But we do have some other topics to talk about today. But let's get to the Dobbs decision. This is probably the biggest case before the Supreme Court, the most monumental decision that the Supreme Court has made, maybe since Roe was decided decades ago. We have a decision that has a cascading effect on the rest of the country. You know, I want to... I want to share what the what what Samuel Alito what the uh, what the majority opinion actually said because there's one part in particular that I need to stress to y'all. In his opinion, Alito states, "We do not pretend to know how our political system or society will respond to today's decision overruling Roe and Casey." Even if we could foresee what will happen, we would have no authority to let that knowledge influence our decision. We can only do our job, which is to interpret the law, apply longstanding principles of stare decisis, and decide this case accordingly. We therefore hold that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Rowan Casey must be overturned, and the authority to regulate abortion must be returned to the people and their elected representatives. That was Justice Sam Alito writing in his opinion, which was largely unchanged from the uh, draft opinion that was leaked a couple months ago. The only thing that changed was some language that responded to the dissent. Uh, and you can find that if you go to kpel965.com. We've got a few stories on this landmark case. If you find the one by me, Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, you'll definitely find near the top a link to the opinion. It's about 200 pages long. But Samuel Alito is, despite the length of that opinion, Samuel Alito is very, 
he he writes in such an easy to understand and easy to interpret way. There are, there are no bones about this decision. So let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, uh, my friend Dan McLaughlin from National Review will be joining us for legal analysis on this. In the meantime, if you want to call and react to the decision, again, the first hour of Offsides, really want to get a lot of caller feedback on that. But you can call in 232-1542 a little later on in the show if you've got some thoughts that you want to share. We're going to go ahead and take our break. We'll be back in just a moment here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL, 232-1542 if you want to call in a little later in the program. But in the meantime, I've got my friend, former Red State colleague, he's now at National Review, Dan McLaughlin, joining us to kind of give us a breakdown. Dan, how are you today? Good to be here. Good to have you on. Uh, So it has been, this is possibly the most monumental day in Supreme Court history since the Roe decision was was, uh, first handed down, right? Yeah, I mean, I think probably the only thing that really competes with this in the in the intervening years is Bush v. Gore when the whole country was watching. But but this is this is way up there and, and I think has, you know, more lasting effect. So uh, just kind of the, we, we know the breakdown. We know that the Supreme Court sided with the Mississippi abortion law. And uh, in their in the in the opinion, uh, Justice Sam Alito wrote that there is no. Uh, constitutional right to an abortion. So Roe and Casey must be overturned. We talk a lot about Roe. So before we get any further, can you kind of explain Casey and its role in this? Yeah, well, of course, the the part of what has happened with Roe is that the court has kept changing its justifications uh, and its arguments for exactly what uh, you know, what the Constitution supposedly protected in, as, as an abortion right and why, right? So Roe originally, um, you know, divided pregnancy into trimesters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Casey was in 1992 when the court was, the, you know, first time it was really squarely asked to throw out Roe mm-hmm. uh, in a case where it had to face up to that question. Uh, and there were actually nine Republican appointees on the court at the time. Uh, but by a five to four vote, they decided to keep Roe, but they rewrote it. Uh, and so changed the standard a little bit to a, a viability standard, the, uh, sort of breaking things, uh, you know, saying that, that states could have a little more uh, power over abortion once the once the child is viable. So in in today's Dobbs decision, Roe versus Wade overturned, Casey overturned, there's no constitutional right to an abortion. And there is, of course, a lot of panic and a lot of kind of wild speculation from the left and their allies in the media. What exactly does this mean for the United States going forward? Well, what it means is that abortion can be banned pretty much anywhere in the country uh, if the voters will do it, if the state Supreme Courts will allow it, et cetera. Uh, that doesn't mean it will be, though. Obviously, there are some states that have very strong political uh, or legal protections for abortion. Um, you know, on the other hand, there are states where abortion is going to be illegal more or less immediately because there are laws on the books mm-hmm. that now go back into effect or that were passed explicitly with the intention of becoming effective the instant that, that Roe fell. Yeah, that Louisiana but is one of those. Also yeah. 
Yeah, and then there's also a bunch of states where the legislatures are going to get to work, or where there's there's ballot initiatives on the on the uh, on the ballot in this fall. What do you see? And so we, we've seen this push. Several states have, like Louisiana has this trigger law that was on the books. We actually just updated one the legislative session that ended really right before the Dobbs decision was handed down. What about the states like California, like New York, that are really pushing to become uh, abortion havens? Are we going to see a trend that way as well for several of these more progressive states? Oh, absolutely, although we, we don't know yet how far they'll be willing to go. I mean, New York actually kind of was a haven, in a sense, before Roe, even. Uh, it had the most liberal abortion law in the country in, in the early 70s, um, although it was still abortion was still illegal after 24 weeks, I think it was at the time. But um, but the question is, you know, there's been talk about, well, some of these states are going to, they're going to try to finance, you know, basically pay for to chauffeur people to their state uh, to have abortions and that sort of thing. And I think there may be some backlash among some of the taxpayers, uh, even people who are pro-abortion in New York and California, but don't necessarily want to be just, you know, paying to bring people into the state. Uh, and then there, there will probably be some fights at the federal level over, you know, how much states can do across state lines. So speaking of the federal level, you know, we, we've seen in the run-up to this, the Senate, uh, Chuck Schumer, for whatever reason, actually tried to put uh, a federal uh, codifying bill before the Senate. And Joe Biden's actually out there calling for that again today. How would a federal codifying of Roe, how would a federal codifying of a right to an abortion, how would that conflict with this? Is it something that Congress can actually do, or does it, it, does it uh, compete with that really states' rights issue on abortion? Well, of course, first of all, you'd need to get, you know, majorities in both houses, and you need to break a filibuster in the Senate. So mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I think before we see a federal law either, you know, banning abortion nationwide or uh, protecting abortion rights nationwide, uh, you're really going to have to have one party just totally get the dominating upper hand, um, you know, in the House and the Senate. Uh, and that's going to be hard to do without building a caucus that is, you know, somewhat divided, that has, you know, you, you know where are you going to get 60 Democratic senators without any pro-life senators, where you're going to get 60 Republican senators without any pro-choice senators. Mm -hmm. And so I think it is going to be very hard to pass something through Congress. And then there are constitutional questions. There are real questions of, you know, what exactly is the federal government's power to do this? It's not interstate commerce. Mm -hmm. uh, there are arguments under the 14th Amendment, but a lot of those are very untested. It's It, it seems like I mean, Sam Alito wrote this opinion where even somebody who's not a lawyer like me can really understand the, the crux of what the Supreme Court is saying here. But there seems to be this this idea among the left that, oh, this is going to spiral out. And it's kind of the slippery slope argument. It's going to kind of spiral out to where we're trying to get rid of interracial marriage or gay marriage or anything like that. Just what's the likelihood of any of that happening? Uh, very low. Um, you know, I think they're... Here's the thing: is the legal doctrine under underneath a bunch of these case, a bunch of these decisions like same-sex marriage, for example, uh, is called substantive due process, which is basically just saying that the you know Constitution says you can't be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, mm -hmm. and any normal 
human being who understands English would read that and think, well, that just means that before the government can, like, kill you or throw you in jail or something, that it has to give you a fair trial and all of that, which is what the language means. Mm -hmm. But somehow along the, along the way, uh, really starting with the Dred Scott decision, which identified a, a due process of law right to take your slaves anywhere in the country, uh, they created this idea that somehow the due process clause protects various liberties that aren't mentioned in the Constitution. Now, I think there's a fair legal argument that um, the Constitution does protect certain things that are not mentioned in the Constitution, but due process isn't really how it's done. So, you know, you've got Justice Thomas saying that, well, we ought to rethink this entire thing and just, you know, have have all of the rights in the Constitution protected by the parts of the Constitution that address them. Uh, but he's got a bit of an uphill battle to convince the others to do that. Um, and so... You know, unless and until he does, you're not really going to get any sort of a sustained assault on some of these other substantive due process decisions. Uh, and then some things, I mean, like interracial marriage, that's not even a due process issue. That's an equal protection of law issue. It means straightforward racial discrimination. All right. So we have uh, we have this decision. And one of I think one of the most notable aspects of this entire fight is that you even had progressive legal scholars, including Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who argued that Roe was initially just really poorly justified. Uh, it, was, it used poor legal rationale to get to its decision. What do you think is going to be the next push to, from the left to try to overcome those shortcomings that Roe originally had? Well, at the end of the day, they need to, you know, they need to replace the, the court is what mm -hmm. they need to do. They need to bring get more more justices on the on the court one way or another. Um, but I mean, I think you know Ginsburg wanted to argue at the time um, that it was an equal protection issue. That is that that because men can't get pregnant, uh, which I guess you know some people would see that as a quaint idea now. But <laughs> but that since men can't get pregnant, that women should be free of any possibility of pregnancy uh, or of having to carry a a pregnancy through, um, and therefore that that that's an equal protection argument. So I think being free now of Roe itself, right, because they were dug in for for half a century on defending Roe as a precedent. So I think if they try to bring back a constitutional right to abortion, I think they would probably argue it as an equal protection thing now, uh, because I think you know uh, when all the, the the shouting is over in a few months, I think there will be a lot of recognition on the left that. Look, at least now we don't have to defend Roe as Roe anymore. We could just defend the abortion right in the terms that we like. All right. So, Dan, uh, last question, because we got a, a little a little over a minute and a half left. Uh, your colleague, Jim Garrity, had a piece out today. The uh, It really talked about the unintended consequences of Ruth Bader Ginsburg not stepping down. Just how, uh, you know, when Barack Obama had maybe nudged her to retire while the Democrats still had control. How impactful was it that Ginsburg served out, served that light, that literal lifetime appointment to the Supreme court? How impactful was it that she unfortunately did pass away at the time that she did? Oh, it was enormous. It was decisive. I mean, without, you know, if, if, the Democrats still held the Barrett seat on the court, um, you know, you don't get today's decision. Now, now, 
there were six votes to, mm-hmm. to uphold the Mississippi law, right? Uh, Chief Justice Roberts was the sixth vote. And so I think, you know, they, the abortion rights still would have been chipped away today, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if there were five votes, because Roberts would have voted to do that, or at least one hopes that he would have voted the same way with mm-hmm. a different set of colleagues. Um, but that was enormously decisive. She could have made a different choice. And, you know, the people who sort of made her a rock star uh, may end up regretting that they, they helped convince her to stay on. All right. Where can people find you on social media and at, Na- and at National Review? Uh, how can they read your stuff? Where can they find you on like Twitter and, and places like that? I am at Baseball Crank on Twitter, and I am uh, Dan McLaughlin at National Review. You, you can find me. I'm currently on the front page in a bunch of places. All right, Dan, thank you very much. Appreciate you hopping on. I know it was last minute asking you, but uh, really, really did enjoy your insight. Hope to have you back on the show again soon. Anytime. All right, thank you. Dan McLaughlin, National Review. We're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, more analysis on Roe v. Wade and, of course, your reactions for the remainder of the show and into offsides in the next hour. In the meantime, we're going to take our bottom of the hour news break. This is Joe Cunningham on The Joe Cunningham Show. Welcome back to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5. k again, special thanks to my friend Dan McLaughlin of National Review for uh, joining us to kind of break down the legal uh, process and, and ramifications of the Dobbs decision. Again, uh, this morning, uh, the Dobbs decision handed down Roe versus Wade uh, and Casey versus Planned Parenthood overturned. Uh, it now uh, will have a cascading legal effect. Now, here in Louisiana and a handful of other states, trigger laws that were already in place will now go into effect, banning abortion effectively in those states. Other states have bills in their legislative bodies that they are working on either to codify an abortion ban or to codify an abortion right. Uh, California, Connecticut, New York uh, have all built in the right to an abortion in their state constitutions, which now go into effect thanks to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And we're now looking at a, a brand new America. Kind of. Now, I was texting and sending messages back and forth with several people today, uh, multiple text messages, group chats, things like that. And it felt like I had to, at times, walk people back from the ledge. Quite literally, it felt like it felt literally they were on the edge about to jump. But Honestly, and, and I, I don't mean to make this sound like less than what it is, because it is a monumental case. It is a big victory for the pro-life cause. But ultimately, this decision does not impact the lives of the vast majority of Americans. It doesn't. The vast majority of of Americans will not be affected in their day-to-day lives by this Supreme Court decision. The decision does not ban abortion. The decision leaves the issue of regulating abortion up to the states, and a handful of states are, and a handful of states will, ban abortion based on that. But your day-to-day life, my day-to-day life, men and women, our lives are largely going to be unchanged. 
you can still get birth control. You can still even get plan B and other abortifacient birth control. You just, in the state of Louisiana, you can't go to an abortion clinic and get a doctor to provide you with a medical abortion. You cannot, in the state of Louisiana, order abortion-inducing drugs online. But nothing has changed. There were, what, three abortion uh, providers in Louisiana. You're not really affecting that many. In the, I think... I want to say that we there was recorded maybe 800,000 abortions last year. I want to say that was the number I heard earlier. That is a very small number compared to the population of the United States. And it's not a big impact on the day-to-day life of Americans. Now, the, the biggest impact will be those who have to carry their child to term. But there are still ways to prevent pregnancy in the first place. Do you know one of the big problems here? Planned Parenthood is actually one of the reasons that abortion became such a big part of the pro-choice movement. About, I don't know, maybe a decade ago, Marco Rubio introduced legislation in the Senate to allow for birth control to be sold over the counter. It's perfectly safe. There is nobody really pushing against that except for Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood lobbied Democrats to filibuster that bill and it wasn't able to make it through the Senate. Planned Parenthood gets a ton of government money to effectively corner the market on birth control. Now, you can get it from your doctor, of course. You can get it through prescription. But Planned Parenthood gets a ton of government money, and part of it they use to provide birth control to their clients, to their patients. Planned Parenthood doesn't want to lose that government money, which they would lose a huge chunk. They would lose a lot of business if birth control were sold over the counter. So Planned Parenthood has opposed it. Planned Parenthood does not want over-the-counter birth control to be a thing. If over-the-counter birth control were a thing that Planned Parenthood hadn't fought against, Abortions would, in fact, have plummeted even faster than they have over the last few years. Abortion is not as common as the Democrats make, want you to think it is. It's not this, this major vital medical procedure that is necessary in the day-to-day lives of Americans. But the way that they act whenever you bring up abortion, whenever they, whenever there's talk about banning abortion or getting rid of it or curtailing abortion, the left throws a huge fit as though it's going to negatively impact every woman in America and send us back to the dark ages where women's rights are concerned. And it's not. This is a good thing because it saves the lives of children. 
but it does not curtail the rights of women. It does not affect your day-to-day life. 232-1542, if you want to call in, we've got Warren on the line. Warren, how are you today? Good, Joe. Man, look, I like what you're saying. Uh, It's common sense, you know. It's like just when we thought... The Supreme, I was giving up on the Supreme Court in America, and this is great because it looks like with the gun laws and, and turning this thing around with abortion, it's hope for our country, you know. But, you know, it's, it's like you're saying, it's common sense thing. If you can't, if a person's not smart enough to buy a condom, they're not smart enough to make a decision about a human being's life. Mm-hmm. And so now they're going to kill people and riot tonight and all that. So I'm going to be praying. But, you know, people need to roll their cameras tonight. We're going to see who the demons are. The demon-possessed people are going to be out wilding tonight. So, you know, I'm going to be praying. But like I said, I'm going to have a suitcase full of 30-round magazines. I'm going to be locked and loaded. Well, this is uh, this is an, this is going to have an impact on the protests across the country. You know, we've got that group James Revenge that has been uh, committing these, these domestic terror uh, attacks against protesters. Uh, crisis pregnancy centers that don't provide abortions that help with the uh, with the pregnancy and help uh, young women uh, who need assistance with their pregnancy. Those pregnancy, those pro-life pregnancy centers have been attacked, firebombed, defaced, uh, and it's only going to continue. It's probably not a bad idea for churches, especially in more progressive areas, to start looking at maybe hiring some security. It's not a bad idea for the Supreme Court to maintain its security. It's not a bad idea for justices of the Supreme Court, particularly the conservative ones, to get some extra security at their homes. Remember, the Democrats oppose that. In the House, Democrats would not would not take up a bill to increase security at the private residences of justices, despite the fact that Brett Kavanaugh faced a serious assassination attempt. The left is losing its mind over this. And it's a shame that political rhetoric in our country has gotten to that point. Let's go ahead and take an early break. When we come back, let's talk about the the people who made today's ruling possible from the Supreme Court and to, yes, the political leaders who made some Supreme Court nominations possible. And, of course, your calls, 232-1542. And those calls, again, will continue into offsides beginning at 4 o'clock when Mark and I are together filling in for Brandon and Shannon. In the meantime, you can call in, and we'll be back in just a moment here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Glad to be with you all today on this historic, monumental Supreme Court Day where Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Uh, Marco Rubio in the Senate has released his Providing for Life Act. Now, this is nothing new for Rubio. He's been pushing for expanded, uh, expanded help for families uh, in, in a very pro-life way. And the framework that was released today on this Providing for Life Act just kind of uh, solidifies what Rubio has long advocated for. Uh, it would make the adoption tax credit fully refundable, further expand the child tax credit. By the way, it is ridiculous to me that the child tax credit is less than the tax credit you get for buying an electric vehicle. That is really screwed up. Anyway, uh, expands uh, the child tax credit, including making it available for parents of an unborn child, as well as his new parents act 
a proposed bill that he introduced with Mitt Romney that would allow new parents, including adoptive parents, to use up to three months of their Social Security benefits to finance paid paternal leave. Or, I'm sorry, not paternal, parental leave. The legislation would also expand the child support enforcement programs, including encouraging states to require biological father to pay at least half a mother's reasonable medical costs incurred during pregnancy, including health insurance premiums. Additional funding would also be provided for the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, including doubling the postpartum benefit eligibility period from one year to two years and adjusting the cash value voucher benefits for rising inflation. So again, Marco Rubio is out there in the wake of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, offering a very pro-life solution to give families the assistance they need in the case of an unexpected pregnancy. Now, I said this this morning in the third hour of Moon's show when I was on with Brandon, and or maybe it was in the second, I, I can't remember, but I'm going to say something here that might offend some of you, including the man sitting across from me, Mark Pope. There are two people who are directly responsible for this victory, and they are the two most polarizing people in the Republican Party. The first is Donald Trump. Neil Gorsuch, Amy Coney Barrett, Brett Kavanaugh were nominees put forward by Trump. And in the case of Kavanaugh, Trump stood by Kavanaugh when all of the mess was hitting the fans and stood by him and did not pull the nomination when a weaker president would have. Very, very important to know that Donald Trump stuck by Kavanaugh, who has turned out to be a pretty good judge. He's not... He's not been the guy conservatives have wanted on some of the issues, but by and large, he is a solid conservative judge. Him, Gorsuch, and Amy Coney Barrett are fantastic additions to the Supreme Court. But there is another. Some of you, again, including Mark, I need Mark to strap in because he might have a moral epileptic seizure when Mm -hmm. I say this. Mitch McConnell deserves a lot of credit here. He is the biggest supervillain in the Senate. But McConnell, when he took power as the Senate majority leader, one of McConnell's biggest goals was to, uh, in, was to change the judiciary and make the judicial branch far more conservative than it was. He was working with the Federalist Society And for every single judicial opening that there was when Donald Trump came into power, Mitch McConnell brought a list of judges to Trump, gave his and the Federalist Society's recommendations, and Trump went with them. Mitch McConnell, for all of his many, 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 many faults, many faults, for all of his faults, Mitch McConnell's singular focus on revamping the judicial branch to be immensely more conservative, including on the Supreme Court, it cannot be understated that his influence in those nominations helped get us to where we are today. You will note that Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Coney Barrett are not David Souter. They are not Harriet Myers. They are not Anthony Kennedy. 
They are legitimately good conservative judges, and that is to the credit of Mitch McConnell and the Federalist Society who put those names forward. So as much as it pains me to say it, and I have written there is a track record of me saying it at Red State, Mitch McConnell is the greatest, he's the Lex Luthor of conservative politics. But he is a man who knows Senate procedure inside and out. He is a strategist. He plays the long game. He filibustered judicial nominees until Harry uh, Reid uh, pulled, uh, pulled the nuclear option on filibustering judicial nominees, paving the way for McConnell to do it for Supreme Court nominees. McConnell uh, did not waver in preventing Merrick Garland from being put up even for nomination for the Supreme Court. He blocked that nomination, which allowed for Donald Trump to come in and get Neil Gorsuch, which was kind of a risky play. But McConnell, and, and there were it was funny because every time the left attacks McConnell, they always make him sound really cool. When they taught when they wrote about McConnell's uh his total overhaul of the judicial branch, I think it was the New York Times or maybe the New Yorker that wrote about Mitch McConnell and his skull of uh, his throne of skulls. Why would you make Mitch McConnell sound cooler? But that's that's literally what it was. It was a throne of skulls of the liberal justices that would never have a chance on the judiciary because Mitch McConnell made sure of it. Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell are directly responsible for the victory that conservatives had today. Now, on that victory, the left is now out there saying, oh, this is going to be a big fundraising opportunity. This is going to be a big uh, motivator come November. There's a problem with that. Anyone who cares about abortion to the point that it affects how they vote was already going to vote Democrat or Republican. This is not going to be an issue that affects independent voters. Independent voters are right now still worried about gas creeping up toward $5 a gallon. They're still worried about how much things the grocery store cost. They're still worried about things not even you know, a little closer to home than abortion, like the immigration issue. They are worried about a lot of things, and abortion, frankly, is not one of them. The polling doesn't support it. The facts on the ground don't support it. The Democrats really think, just like January 8th, they really think abortion is going to be the big rallying cry that brings the party together and brings people back to the Democratic fold. And that's what's going to save the Democrats in November. In the meantime, the Biden administration has done absolutely nothing to alleviate the problems that are currently facing the, uh, the nation, the voters, and the Democratic Party. So because of all that, the Democrats still don't have a snowball's chance come November. They're still looking at a bloodbath. And I'm sorry if you're out there and you're, you, know, you're, you're, you feel kind of passionate about the abortion issue. You're maybe of the left. You're maybe a Democrat. You may just be somebody who's like super libertarian and thinks that abortion is a stupid issue to fight on and that this is going to totally ruin the Republicans' chances. I'm sorry you're wrong. You're just wrong. 
All right. The Joe Cunningham Show will be... Oh, wait. It's Friday. The Joe Cunningham Show will be back in a few days. In the meantime, though, Mark is going to be on the mic with me. We're going to be back here for Offsides, and we want to take your calls. What's your reaction to Roe versus Wade being overturned? We'll have that and more. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Check out the podcast of this show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Going to take a quick break. We'll be back with you soon here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL.